Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 21st, 2022, including Discord is finally coming to Xbox consoles, Skate 4 will be a free-to-play game, I'm helplessly addicted to Nobody Saves the World, and more. And on this day in Xbox history, Brian Lara International Cricket 2005 released for the original Xbox in the UK in the year 2005. Okay, guys, welcome to episode 164 of the Xbox On podcast, where I am slightly excited and slightly disappointed to be here today because, well, I don't know, you know how it is uh, every couple months or so, you'll get in a mood where you're like really not feeling gaming for a while so maybe you gotta take a step away from it or you're just kind of playing because it's what you do but you're not really like feeling it as much but then a couple months later you'll have just the opposite effect where like you'll fall in love with a specific game that's really just got you hooked and now all of a sudden like your world is open to gaming again you're just like rediscovering it for the first time all over again and it's just all you want to do is just play a game i'm kind of going through one of those moments right now where I'm like really in the mood to play games so much so that I'm actually kind of disappointed that I have to sit here and talk about video games when there's a specific video game I'd much rather just be playing right now. But we'll get into that a little bit later in the show because, boy, am I just so excited to think about playing and talk about this game endlessly. But let's, uh, l- l- hey, there's an order of operations here. And if we break it, I'm fairly certain the Earth will be entirely submerged in water by the year 2032. So let's not make that happen, and let's let's actually start out this week's shows with corrections, stories of mild amusements, updates, things of that nature, of which we don't really have a whole lot of corrections and updates because nothing is happening, and I never get anything wrong ever. But we do have stories of mild amusement, which I will jump into right now. I guess maybe not so much a story of mild amus- amusement I want to start with, but just a couple, couple of announcements, things you're probably already well aware of if you're even remotely tuned into the Xbox sphere, but... Couple notable releases and updates this week I just want to touch on real quick. At the time you're listening to this, As Dusk Falls is now out on Xbox. This is a notable release because obviously summer is generally a pretty like big lull in the game's release calendar. And As Dusk Falls is uh, a second party title, so it's you know quite notable for Xbox. It's an Xbox Game Studios published title uh, developed for a non-Xbox, from a non-Xbox Game Studios own team, Interior Knights, who are, this is actually their first game they've ever put out, a, a newish development team based out of London. So, pretty pretty interesting to see, you know, what this new studio is made of, their first game, it's an Xbox published title, it's launched into Game Pass, there's not a whole lot going out right now. I feel like there's a lot of attention on this game right now, mostly just because the timing's right. So, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to jumping into this game over the weekend. It looks like it has a very stylized art style, and it's it's kind of something of like a telltale um, kind of game where it's one of those narrative-based games with very little actual gameplay, lots of decision-making and, and narrative 
uh, or like dialogue and, and, and storytelling is basically the main focus of it. But I'm always up for a game like this. So I I don't know. I'm going to give it a go, even though particularly the, the trailers and the, and, and the setting of this game don't necessarily speak to me. I feel like there's the potential for something, something, something decent here. So I'm definitely going to jump into that this weekend. Excited to know what you guys think, as I, I assume many of you are probably jumping into this this week. The other big notable Xbox release this week, one I'm definitely very excited for and will no doubt love and cannot wait to sink a lot of time into this weekend, is the new Forza Horizon 5 Hot Wheels DLC expansion. I'm so happy to see this. I know there are some people who are like, oh, that's a little like redundant or lazy maybe because Forza Horizon 3's big expansion was Hot Wheels. And then with Forza Horizon 4, they kind of like took that idea and twisted it up. I mean, like, okay, now it's Lego. But honestly, I, I love the idea of them doing Hot Wheels again because, well, not only are they, are they kind of limited with the amount of times you can be like, what's a fun toy brand tie-in racing thing we can do, you know? They're kind of limited by how many options there are out there for that. I mean, what are they going to do? Oh, here's the Matchbox DLC. No, but to me, it's like I'm, as a massive, like, lifelong Hot Wheels fan and a big fan of Forza Horizon, I just, I feel like this is... The same way I felt when they did this with Forza Horizon 3. Like, this is tailor-made specifically for people like me, and I'm just so excited that we're getting Hot Wheels again on Forza Horizon 5. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I will 100% be jumping into this this weekend and fully expect to hear my thoughts and opinions, whether you want them or not, next week. Very much looking forward to that. And then aside from that, I guess the last thing I want to point out, not a game or a DLC so much as a a basic feature that's finally launched into Halo Infinite and it's in beta, which is just whatever, man, do what you got to do, get it right. But it's kind of silly to be like, Hey, Halo Infinite now has online co-op campaign, but it's in beta, whatever. Still no couch co-op just as a clarification. And I think it's like, if you're on PC, you have to sign up specifically for this beta access. But if you're on Xbox, you can pretty much just jump in and try it. But yeah, the co-op mode for campaign is now available in Halo Infinite. Um, I have not played the game since this update came out. I do plan on giving this a go. Maybe we'll play with Cronky or we can all play together on maybe next week's stream, something like that. That might be a fun idea, actually. It's actually a pretty damn good idea. But um, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm i happy to see this game getting these features right because like these are the things we nag about. Halo needs these features. Over time, It will get they'll get more and more features like this, and we'll look back and be able to say, okay, now, you know, despite its rocky start, now Halo Infinite is a content-complete excellent game. Right now, it's just an excellent foundation with a lot of meat and potatoes missing. And um, this definitely helps fill it out. But I, I don't know, man. It's just there's something kind of disappointing going on with Halo Infinite. And I don't mean to, like, start the podcast out by being dour and negative. Again, like, I always have to emphasize, emphasize I truly, truly like Halo Infinite. I've always loved 343. I've always thought they've actually done a great job with Halo. I'm a huge Halo 4 and 5 fan, as many of you already know. I, I, I don't envy or I well, I kind of envy I don't I don't want to discredit or play down how daunting of a task it is to be like okay you guys have to live up to the expectations set by Bungie and especially with Halo Infinite where it was like you know whether you agree with it or not I definitely disagree with it fans were very disappointed with Halo 5 and now you are tasked with trying to rein the franchise back in have that return to form and, and reinvent it in a way that's like guys guys don't worry, we still know how to make Halo. This is the Halo you love. We're going to do the thing to make you happy. And it's just like everything about Halo Infinite should have been... It just should have been... Uh, no, let me let me say it differently. The things they could have fucked up with Halo Infinite, the things that could have gone wrong, and there are many, many things, 
are somehow the things they really got right. Because fundamentally, at its core, this game does just a massive mindfuck job of somehow taking the old Bungie Halo that everyone unanimously loves with the divisive modern Halo gameplay of 4 and 5 that people like myself love and somehow melding them together in a way that just makes it so agreeable and lovable for everyone. And that's the hard part. They got the art style completely right. They got the feel of the game completely right. The campaign is excellent, especially if you ignore the games that came before it and just enjoy it in its own context. The campaign is excellent. But it's just, there's something about Halo Infinite where we're more than half a year removed from its release. And we're celebrating the idea that now you can play the game in co-op online only via a beta feature. It's just like, I'm I'm not even trying to dunk on 343 or talk about how Halo Infinite sucks. It's not even remotely what I'm getting at. I'm just... I'm just saying, it it definitely feels, like, disappointing that this is, like, the the conversation we're having around Halo. It's like, hey, guys, you can finally play co-op with your buddies via Xbox Live only and uh, through a beta feature. It's like, by now, it's like, God, I just, I want to be so steeped, so so balls deep, as it were, in Halo Infinite. But I feel like we're still just trying to get the game across the finish line is what it feels like. And I don't know, man, just that paired with the... You know, and we won't get into it because we've talked, we've belabored the point of this, you know, by now. Just the the battle pass system and progression system and ranking and everything that just, I really, it really doesn't speak to me personally. I feel like Halo Infinite is a game I, I, I really loved for a little bit when it came out. And I can't wait to love it again, you know, in a year or two when they really got it figured out. But for now, it's just like, ah, man, I love Halo to death and I will come back to it when they're ready to really show me something but this is this is obviously an important feature a step in the right direction it's just i don't know i I don't really have anything important to say i guess so i really should just move on but if you want to play halo infinite co-op with your friends on xbox live you can now do so i I watched a couple videos of some people on youtube and shit just to kind of see what it looked like because obviously combining the open world aspects of halo infinite with classic co-op campaign isn't just as easy as adding people in. There's a lot of things you got to account for. So I was curious to kind of see what that looks like in action. And it looks like there's a lot of, a lot of, with, with this game being a little bit more of a open sandbox environment, seems like there's a lot more potential for shenanigans in campaign with, with this online co-op. So I will end on that positive note saying, I do optimistically look forward to having some shenanigans in some uh, co-op campaign. But let's get into some real stories of mild amusement. Guys, Red Dead Online, this is a, God, this is the textbook definition of a story of mild amusement. <laughs> so Red Dead Online, we, we talked about it the past couple weeks, how Rockstar has basically said, hey, we're really starting to step away from really going all in on supporting games like Red Dead Redemption 2 with online support. Uh, obviously, the game will still be supported, but we're just not going to add a bunch of new content, constantly fixate on it as they move more into full production of Grand Theft Auto 6. We know that. But, uh, you know, the Grand Theft Auto or the Red Dead Redemption 2 community, the online community, has kind of been a, a little salty the past week or two regarding this news. And so <laughs> this this week they're hosting, like, they're holding a funeral for the game in the game. This is the kind of shit that's just like, and f- <laughs> this is this is what online gaming and the internet can do to change interactive entertainment in a way that's just like, <laughs> you know, it's just like... There can be a, a complete divide between people who grew up playing, you know, the Nintendo, the, Ninten- the NES versus like kids today who are growing up in these fucking free to play games as a service multiplayer experiences where it's just like there's there's 
there's just no commonality here. People's idea of a good time or, or like, I don't know, like engaging with video games are like, yeah, let's hold the funeral for Red Dead Redemption 2 in Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, it's just whatever. This is a this is a good laugh. I love that this is happening. And um, rest in peace, Red Dead Redemption 2. You're a phenomenal game, and I literally never even delved into your multiplayer for a single goddamn second. All right. Next up, guys, our first images, our first tease of the next Yakuza title have leaked. and Well, not really leaked, but appeared online. Um, as spotted by Famitsu, a video posted by MMA fighter Mikuru Asakura during which he takes a tour through Ryuga Godoku Studio, the developers behind Yakuza, uh, has shown several stills, still images from the next game in the series. A sequel to Yakuza Like a Dragon has already been confirmed, so it's possible the footage is actually from that and not a proper Yakuza 8. Adding to that is one of the screenshots of Ichiban Kasuga, the protagonist of Like a Dragon. However, it's possible that character simply appears in the new game as crossovers between these sub-franchises isn't un unheard of. Ryu Gai Gotoku Studios also confirmed that's working on a new game outside the Yakuza or Judgment franchises, so could be linked to that, but I, I, my, my money is on this is Yakuza Like a Dragon 2. Um, but I, dude, I fucking love, I love Yakuza. Keep it coming forever. I need to get back to this series so badly because I, uh, I need, I, I, I loved one and two and zero so freaking much. And now I need to jump into, jump into three, four, five, and six and play like a dragon. But I'm intimidated by just how much Yakuza is out there and you know, how little I played relative to how much exists. And this doesn't help, but it is always exciting to know. More Yakuza is on the way. It seems it seems like they're usually able to get one of these out every three years or so. So we're probably due for an announcement. Maybe if not the Game Awards, maybe next summer, next spring, next summer. So keep your eyes peeled. We got more Yakuza on the way. And next up, let's let's circle back to Halo Infinite real quick, and we'll just read through this. No 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 negative commentary. Just a uh, maybe a little bit of a a bittersweet announcement. But Windows Central reports that Halo Infinite's art director Nicholas Sparth. Uh, Bovier has departed 343 Industries after 14 years of working on Halo. He has said that he's decided to pursue other opportunities outside of 343 and Microsoft. He's worked on Halo's 4, 5, Guardians, and Infinite, and also created the cover art for several Halo books and comics as well. Bovier's farewell, I hope I'm not saying his name wrong, is, is the, his farewell is the latest in a string of recent departures from 343 and Halo Infinite. Former creative director Tim Longo and lead producer Mary Olsen left the studio in 2019, sorry, and the developer's former studio head, Chris Lee, parted with the project in 2020. Recently, formerly multiplayer designer Andrew Witz and head designer Jerry Hook left Halo Infinite as well. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that this is like a sky is falling moment because I know, guys, if you'll remember back in 2019 when Tim Longo and Mary Olsen left, there was a whole lot of like red flag, red flag, the sky is falling, everything's fucked over at 343, Halo Infinite's gonna suck. And well, the funny thing is that actually was kind of true because now what we know from the reporting um, from from Jason Schreier and and from and all the you know all the leaks and information we've gathered in the year since is actually yeah that kind of actually was true but halo infinite had something of a halo 2 development story where it was like a game that was completely fucked all the way through development until that last that last stretch of development they somehow turned it around and pulled through with a really great product and obviously halo infinite a much more ambitious project than a game like halo 2 in that it is a game that has to persist a little more than a game like Halo 2. You know, a game back in the day where it was like, here's your campaign, here's your game, it's not even in HD, 
couple here's a multiplayer suite. You'll get a map pack one day. Bye. You know, obviously Halo Infinite is a much more of a technical and large scale game to develop. It's a lot more daunting of a project. So I'm not trying to say like, oh look, they're not capable of doing something. But I, I it, you know, God, what am I even trying to say? The the game no doubt suffered some serious uh, development issues, and there's some serious burnout, and we and we know what a mess it was with Xbox hiring you know all these contract workers instead of full-time people and people just coming in and out and the game just constantly changing hands and being scrapped and rebooted in this iteration that iteration and what we ended up getting was basically you know like a bunch of the game on the cutting room floor just getting left out and having a key in on the core of the game and all these things we we now know but the fact of the matter is it's not you know I mean, how the cookies made matters, right? We want to know that the developers are healthy and treated well and compensated fairly and that the game was able to be the best it could be because the conditions were right. Obviously, we all want that. But at the end of the day, if the game's good from a consumer, from a solely from a consumer standpoint, you know, we should be able to acknowledge and celebrate that. So Halo Infinite launched and it was a pretty good game, all things considered. And there's many, many more good Halo Infinite related content releases to come so I, I don't worry about that not to mention it is also extraordinarily common when a video game launches especially a big project like a game like Halo Infinite where it's in development for a long time where you see a lot of studio shifts it's like okay the game is out we've done the job the project is out there for the world to enjoy and a lot of people sit back take a couple months off maybe or something like that take take some time off and come back and say what do I want for myself next? And maybe it is to move on to a new team, a new project, maybe leave the industry. I don't know. We see that all the time. So for this to happen at 343, I feel like, you know, don't don't freak out. There is a, uh, it definitely does seem like there's a, a little bit of a desire for there to be a bigger narrative of how 343 is fucked and how it's a terrible place to work. I'm sure there's tons of room for improvement there, especially from what we've learned. But I, I wouldn't say that, Halo was doomed or 343 is doomed and, you know, irreparably damaged as a result of this game's development. I just think, obviously, things could have gone better, should have gone better, but ultimately, you know, it's a testament to, to what the uh, the people behind this project did because they sure pulled a pretty great game out of their ass considering what we do know. But, uh, you know, obviously, good luck to Nicholas. You got, you got 14 years um, at Halo working on, honestly, some of my all-time favorite games. I love Halo 4's campaign. I adore Halo 5 as a complete package top to bottom because I'm adult enough to be able to look at its story uh, issues and be like, wow, despite its flaws, I can see the intent and also enjoy the great gameplay around it and realize what a great game Halo 5 was. But, um, man, it's, uh, you know, whatever. You always you always wish someone the best. Like, you know, you can't, you can't stay in one place for too long. Otherwise... You lose the uh, inspiration and the drive to do it, and then you know it's not—it's not really much use having someone there who, whose heart isn't in it anymore. And not to assume his heart's not in it anymore, but you know, 14 years of one thing, you might—you might, you might want to try your try your hand at something else. Okay, we can't all whatever. I need to stop talking about Halo. I just can't talk about Halo without rambling. Wrap it up. Let's let's do our final story of mild amusement. This is—I uh, just want to pay my respects. As we often do when, unfortunately, we get stories of this of this kind. Gamesindustry.biz relayed that a few weeks ago, Rare received the tragic news of the passing of Rob Ashby. In his 22 years in the industry, Rob worked on some of the biggest names in gaming. Sony Online Entertainment, Blizzard, ZeniMax Online, and Jagex. Shout out to RuneScape. Before he joined Rare in 2016 to work on Sea of Thieves. 
We know he will have made an impact on so many of you in the last two decades, and we wanted you and his peers, ex-colleagues, to hear the news directly from us. And that was uh, a statement from um, from Rare. It was really sweet, actually. It was like a, col- a collection of statements from people throughout Rare, just kind of uh, giving their, their anecdotes and experiences and remembrances of Rob Ashby, Ashby. So really, really obviously terribly sad news. Very young guy. So may, you know, obviously our thoughts with his family and loved ones in this horrific time of mourning. Our thoughts with uh, our, our buds over at Rare who do the hard work behind Sea of Thieves, making one of the surprisingly, honestly, and that's, I don't mean that's a slight to Rare, but surprisingly, one of the one of the better uh, live service games. And I only say surprisingly because damn, man, like, I mean, Rare went from making all these platformer games and 2D games back in the day and then a bunch of Kinect games and all this shit, all these not multiplayer related things to making truly one of the most unique and fun live service experiences. So obviously our thanks to Rob for his contributions to this game we all love. And uh, yeah, just want to send my condolences and thoughts. But guys, that's going to do it for our Stories of Mild Amusement opening thoughts. Remember to go download As Dusk Falls. I don't know why the fuck that game is like 50 gigabytes. It keeps bothering me. I'm like, I downloaded it the other night. I'm like, I'm going to finish the game I'm playing probably Thursday or Friday. And then this weekend, I'm really going to jump into As Dusk Falls. Give it a, give it an old college try. But um, fuck, 50, 50 gigs. And it's like a six-hour narrative choice-driven you know, game. You know, this, is, this isn't Destiny 2. What are we doing, guys? Calm down. All right, let's jump into the news this week. But first, we're going to talk about the games I've been playing, which is the thing I'm most excited to talk about this week. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I got to tell you guys about what I've been eating. And guys, this is, I feel like it's been a while. I'm trying, I I acknowledge what a negative person I am. And I don't mean to be that way in a sardonic way or an overtly, I don't mean to be negative in a negative way. Um, But what I really mean by that is just, I I sound negative by, by default. But a lot of times, me expressing criticism or negativity is actually a way of, or feels like it's a way of me being positive. You know, it's like I say the negative thing to exert negativity from me and bring positivity towards me, but I realize maybe it just sounds like a, a downer thing to do. Crazy crazy thing to say, I know. But, guys, I got I got some positivity here because this week, what I've been eating and what I've been playing are two things I'm greatly excited to tell you about. Nothing bad to say here, guys. Just all good, okay? So, got to tell you about what I've been eating. This past Friday... I went to, it was like a, it's like Flashback Friday or some shit. I went to a, uh, a music festival. It's basically the spiritual successor to the Warped, the Vans Warped Tour, if you know, you know. And, uh, you know, saw the, the punk rock and the emo bands, the whatever, the punk, pop punk, whatever you want to call it. All the bands play. It was a fun night, whatever. It was a very exhausting day, but very nice time. And on my way home, I was like, you know what? I try not to eat late at night these days. I really try not to eat fast food these days, but... There's something to me, you know, when I was growing up, I, I went to so many rock concerts. I was very into music growing up. Um, the second I got a license, I was at basically a concert every night. If it wasn't my stupid high school band playing a concert, I was at someone else's concert seeing a band live. Like, I, I loved live music. So my, uh, my, my adolescence was very much defined by, like, going to concerts, playing concerts, eating fast food, hanging out with friends and talking about music. And Friday was just, like, kind of a... It was like kind of going back in time 10 years and doing that a little bit. And so after the show, I was like, you know what would really just really be the bow on this uh, on this little gift of a night is if I had some Taco Bell. So I go over to Taco Bell. It's like one in the morning or some shit like that. Perfect time to eat Taco Bell. 
haven't done this in many, many years where I've probably at least four years since I've, I've been to Taco Bell at like one in the morning and I pull up and I'm reminded due to the advertisement. Oh yeah. The Cantina crispy chicken taco is now available. Now it comes in two variants. There's an avocado ranch and a Chipotle. And I got the avocado ranch. Very excited to try this out. It's just a regular taco shell, flour tortilla, uh, soft shell. You got your crispy chicken tender. You got your avocado ranch sauce. You got your lettuce, tomato, and cheese, whatever. It's a very basic concept. Nothing too special about it. But I don't know if it's because the item was so good or because I was reminded of Taco Bell tastes its best when you eat it late at night when you're stupid fucking hungry and not like in the middle of the day trying to eat like a serious meal. But man, oh man, this thing was good. Like eating this thing, I was just like, holy hell. It's a, uh, you know, it's kind of like the last time they did the chicken taco thing where they tried to do the chicken sandwich taco, where I was like, it's good, but it tastes more like KFC than it tastes like Taco Bell. Um, this time, I feel like the balance was just right. Now it tastes like fried chicken at Taco Bell, kind of like when they did Chick Stars and things like that, Naked Chicken Chalupa. It was a, it was much more in that vein in terms of the the flavor, uh, the the flavor combination. But man, oh man, the the Cantina Crispy Chicken Taco. I mean, you know Taco Bell. By the time I'm 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 done saying this, it's probably already no longer available. But man, it's it's good shit. And if you have the opportunity, I highly recommend you go out and get yourself one of these. Good shit. All right, not only that, guys, but I, I'm really excited to tell you about what I've been playing. Last week we touched on it just a hair. But this week, I went full hog on this game. Last week, I booted up Nobody Saves the World. A little disappointed that I hadn't already given it a go because it did launch as a Xbox Game Pass timed exclusive back in January. And it is developed by Drinkbox Studios, one of my favorite indie devs. And I just never gave it a try or really paid attention to it. And I knew I would get around to it one day. But, um, man, I wish that day came sooner because this game is so fucking good. Last week when we talked about it, I was only about an hour in, so I didn't have too much to say i just knew i liked it enough to keep going but oh boy <laughs> this weekend i i literally played this game for like i i think i think on on saturday I, I checked i played like it was like nine hours straight i played this game um i stopped only to eat and shower but man this game is some good ass shit i i think actually like let me just before i get into specifics let me just say i'm pretty sure this is so far my game of the year now we got Sonic Frontiers on the way, so don't get too excited, okay? All you Nobody Saves the World fans, but yeah, man, I, I this game is phenomenal. And uh, I think, I feel like as an Xbox podcaster, whatever the fuck that means, that um, I, I, have, I have done myself and this audience a disservice by not not putting a bigger spotlight on this game from the get because it is just so special. So last week I made the mistake of saying it feels kind of like a cross between like a Metroidvania and a Zelda game. No, that's not true at all. Take out Metroid completely. This game is like Zelda meets Diablo meets Super Mario 64. That's kind of the best way I can put it. But even then, it's not quite that because it's very unique and it very much is a thing all onto its own. The overworld, the open world of the game has that Zelda Link to the Past kind of feeling, right? There's a big map, it's top-down game, you can explore the whole world and blah, 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 and talk to this person, unlock this item, grab this thing, oh, there's this little light puzzle. Remember what that person said in this village? Well, this is that person's friend in this village, and, you know, later in the game, if you paid attention earlier in the game, this thing will make sense. It's got a lot of that Zelda puzzle-solving overworld kind of a Link to the Past type stuff, right? 
but the actual gameplay is the dungeon crawling, which is where its Diablo influence comes in, in into play. But the thing that makes this game so unique is its its approach to that. You you know how like dungeon crawlers, Diablo, Minecraft dungeons, these games kind of work. Is it's the it's the um, it's that um, that serotonin hit you get. Every time you complete a dungeon, it's like, cool, new gear. Oh, look at this thing that dropped. Ooh, I'm going to upgrade this. Level up. Distribute new skill points. Blah, 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 blah. But this game has a really interesting quirk, a really interesting twist on that, where it's not about gear at all. In fact, you don't get gear for your character. Rather, your character is this, hence the name, nobody. And they have this magic wand that allows them to transform into different forms. But the forms are not like, it's not like, cool shit like oh i can turn into a a night warrior and then i can turn into a fucking like army man with a gun or some shit like that or i can turn into like a demon it's like some cool stuff like that but then it's a bunch of ridiculous bullshit and it's so fun you can turn into a knight you can turn into an archer but you can also turn into a robot you can turn into a necromancer you can turn into a slug you can turn into a turtle you can turn into a magician you can turn into a zombie you can turn into a zombie mermaid you can turn into an egg you can turn into um i'm just trying to think of some of the other absurd forms in this game a bodybuilder there's literally one form it's like this just super fucking strong shirtless man and his attack ability is he just takes like a, a bench of of weights and just like throws it at enemies to cause massive damage it's absolutely absurd but the game is so creative because rather than making the loot grind all about loot the loot grind is all about unlocking new forms and upgrading the forms so it's like you know let's say you start as nobody then you be, uh, unlock the night warrior well the night warrior has all these little mini little these little mini like challenges you gotta do so it's like as you're playing the game it's like kill 100 enemies with this attack um use this buff paired with this other attack to to kill this many enemies whatever it's like really easy stupid shit but you kind of like the 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 effect you get into this cycle of just constantly being like okay let me try this ability let me try this ability let me try this ability cool i'm leveled up now i've unlocked this character let me switch to this character and then you can start to switch different abilities between different characters so it's like let's take this magician's ability and pair it with the necromancer and then that that will have that damage buff that pairs really nice with this attack I like from this other character, and then it'll help you level up this guy faster, and it becomes this massive loot grind of you play through the dungeons so you can unlock the challenges, so you can unlock new characters, so you can unlock new abilities for characters, so you can level up, so you can go into bigger, higher level dungeons, and so on, so forth, rinse, repeat, and it's so incredibly addicting, just like when you play a game like Diablo, but the approach is entirely different, but also kind of the same. It's really, really fun, very unique. And the game is so wacky. When you're exploring the overworld, it also uses that massive range of characters to great effect by being like, okay, well, if you want to explore the world and find this item or unlock this chest, you got to get in this tight spot. So maybe you need the the slug, which is pretty small, to squeeze through that tight corner. Or maybe this thing's on an island, so you need to be the turtle so you can swim through water. Or like all this different ridiculous shit. And it makes the game just constantly fun to explore very much in that like classic Zelda vein where like you were constantly incentivized and excited to see, ooh, what's over here? Ooh, I was going to go into that dungeon next, but I'm kind of too curious to see what's over here to do that first. It's like, okay, I was trying to level up this character, but then I got this new ability that makes this other character more fun to play as. So let me actually do that first, and then I'll come back to this. And it becomes this game of, and this is why I love the game the most, the puzzle, the, the, the puzzle solving and the actual difficulty of the combat 
are so I mean it's it's somewhat of an RPG so it's you know it's as easy or hard as you make it by leveling up but it's so well balanced and the world incentivizes you to play so many different things in so many different ways that it constantly feels like more often than you being stumped by a puzzle or pissed off at a difficult dungeon or something like that which could easily be a turnoff for the game more often than not, your biggest thing of this game is you're just constantly being so excited and drawn by all the cool things to do around you that are equally fun and exciting to do that you can't decide where you want to focus your attention on at any given time. And I don't mean like there's so much shit to do like in an open world game where it's like, you know, here's 20,000 tasks for you to do. Here's a, here's a Far Cry game where you only give a shit about the main quest, but there's 300 side quests of some asshole telling you to go fly a fucking helicopter into a... In, into the into the water and then kill kill some guy and burn his crops with a flamethrower. It's like cool. I don't care. This game, it's like there's so much shit to do and you care about all of it equally. It's one of those rare games where it's like I can't tell what's side content and what's main content because it's all equally important to me from a fun perspective. I just want to play it all. I don't I don't care about progression if it means that I have to skip over this content because I just want to do all this stuff in front of my face. The last part of it is it has a very Super Mario 64, Mario Odyssey kind of twist to it where unlocking the next dungeon, unlocking the next area of the map is also more than just like, well, are you high enough level? You know, it's also you have to do all these challenges. You have to unlock these characters. You have to use these abilities because as you complete these little mini tasks and tasks and, and quests that, you know, allow you to progress, you're also unlocking these basically it's like the equivalent to like in a 3d mario game when you get a star at the end of a level right and you just want to collect and collect and collect them because the more difficult dungeons you go to the more stars you need i'll call them in order to unlock the next dungeon and then that hits a whole different level of just like collect a thon gotta unlock gotta fill out the map gotta do it all and i feel like at, at its core what this game does best is it takes the fun addictive collect-a-thon nature of mario games with the fun loot grind replayability unlock grind features of a dungeon crawler with the fun addictive explorative what's over here what's over there i gotta find the whole map qualities of like a classic zelda game it takes those three core like obscenely addictive qualities of those genres those games and it melds it into one game that has all of those addictive qualities and makes you just an actual crack fiend for this game and that's at least my experience. Obviously, I'm sure a lot of people are having different experiences. I'm sure there are people who probably play this and are as unamused by it as I am from, like, Watch Dogs or something. Obviously, everyone has their own taste, so it, I guess maybe it doesn't even need to be said. But at least for myself, this game is hitting on all levels. It's so, so good. The writing is extremely fun and humorous. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but not in like an obnoxious Deadpool way where it's trying to be like edgy and hot topic and appeal to the 14 to 23 crowd. It's like in a fun way where it's just like, it's just ridiculous and cute. Like, like there's this one part early on in the game where you leave a dungeon and you free all these horses and the horses start running around. And like, you know how it is in a game where it's like, if it wants you to talk to a character, it'll put like an exclamation mark over their head, which means like, hey, talk to this character. There's a quest or something involved. And so like, you'll talk to this character and he'll be like, oh, can you do this? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, cool, accept quest. And you'd go over here and this person's like, oh, hey, have you found blah, blah, blah. And you're like, cool, accept quest. And then you go over to this horse where there's an exclamation mark over its head. You're like, okay, what kind of quest am I going to get from this random horse? And you click on it and it's just like, it's literally just a horse. It has nothing to say to you. It's just like stupid shit like that where it uses like conventional gameplay mechanics and, and thinking to like kind of lure you in and, and, and just be like, hey, you're dumb. 
and just be really silly, really lighthearted and tongue in cheek and cute like that. And I, I love things like that. I love I love that kind of humor in video games. And this game uses it to great effect, and it's it's never overwhelmingly so, but it's always like it, it catches you off guard and gives you a little chuckle when you have it. And I don't know, man. I I just feel absolutely glowing about this game. I, I think it is so wonderful. I would I this is one of those games where it's like I genuinely want to hear from you. What are all the great things you had to say about it, and what do people think? And um. I don't know. I'm at, I'm at the tail end of it. They, the average runtime of this game, it seems like, from HowLongToBeat.com, a website I use all the time, says it's about a 14, 15 hour game. I'm 20 hours in, and and I still, I think I have like three or four hours left, and that's rare for me because I'm usually a let's beeline the main quest and get done with this game kind of guy. But with this game, like holy hell, I'm I'm taking my sweet ass time. If I don't roll credits to hour 25, 30, that's fine by me. You know, I'm just all the game will go as long as it has to go because I'm just here to enjoy the ride. And um, honestly, that's the highest praise I think you can give a game in, in a world where every game is trying to be the biggest game ever in a world where there are too many games to possibly keep up with. And everything is vying for your time to find a game that makes you say, fuck all of that. I just want to indulge with this experience. That's a uh, that's quite a hard thing to find these days. And this for me, at least nobody saves the world. Absolutely. is one of those games. I cannot recommend this game highly enough. I absolutely adore it, and uh, that's why at the top of the show I said I'm slightly, uh, slightly. It's like a bittersweet thing because I'm excited to do the podcast tonight, but I'm disappointed that I can't be playing this game right now because that's what I'd much rather be doing than uh, going to work or, or or editing a show. So, guys, what are you doing? If you haven't already, go play. Nobody saves the world, and if you have, what did you think? Because Acting Basher wrote in and he said. Jesse, glad to see you're enjoying Nobody Saves the World. Me and my friend played that couch co-op day one. Such an amazing game. Great show, as always. Look at that. Acting Basher thinks it's a great game. He has at least one friend we know because he played co-op with them. And he thinks my show is great. So if you're not like Acting Basher, you're probably a Nazi. Speaking of Nazis, Sam Torres writes it and says, New Mike sounds great. Thank you, Sam. But I'm sure you're being tapped by govern by the government. Oh, yes. Drinkbox is the developer I would want to be if I could code games. Such charm to their games. They could make a game called Poop Snacks, and I would dive right in knowing the experience would be magical. Guacamelee is such a fun pair of games. Makes me love Metroid less and less. Almost forgot Samus's gender. Now if they could just make a bona fide combat racing game, keeping the nobody saves the world charm. Fuck. Just fuck. I would voice act for Bruce Willis. Not even really sure what that means, but Sam Torres, I I still agree wholeheartedly with some of uh, what you're talking about here. Drinkbox, and I said this last week, they truly are one of the great indie devs, and this game just solidifies it. I loved Guacamelee when I first played it. I, 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 I'm embarrassed to admit I never played Guacamelee 2, but like I said last week, I loved Guacamelee 1 so much that I actually think it's fundamentally, from a, from a moment-to-moment gameplay perspective, a superior game to Super Metroid. Like, if you're someone who's never really dabbled in Metroidvania-style games, I would I would tell you, Super Metroid, of course, it's a very important game. It, it created the genre in so many ways. I get it. And I love the Metroid aesthetic and atmosphere, but, dude, Guacamelee is a better game. It is a more fun, better, better done game. Obviously, it's kind of unfair to compare something from 2013 to something from like 19 what, what was super metroid 94 or whatever am i wrong whatever it's kind of an unfair comparison no duh but i i just i really adore this developer severed was a really great game on the playstation vita back when i played that guacamelee 2 i'm sure is great and then now their new game nobody saves the world i would say it's their best game they've made yet and that's that's no easy task because they've made some fantastic games already so yeah, man, I'll, I'll stop now, but that is the only thing I've been playing. I am so balls deep in this game, and um, 
I think I'll probably be done with it Thursday or Friday, unfortunately. Uh, but that will allow me the opportunity to jump into some Hot Wheels, Forza Horizon 5, and some As Dusk Falls. So we'll have some new games to talk about next week. But hey, guys, if you played Nobody Saves the World, write in, let me know what you thought. Because boy, oh boy, it's going to take a blue hedgehog to probably top this game. You know what I mean? All right, guys, that's it for what I've been playing this week. But now we can move in to the news. All right, we got about seven stories to go through this week. So we'll just start out with the one that I think is going to excite most Xbots out there. VGC reports that Microsoft have announced the Discord voice chat is coming to Xbox consoles. Starting the day that this podcast is being recorded, so by the time you listen to this, it's already available. Select Xbox gaming, sorry, selected Xbox insiders will be able to chat with anyone on Discord via voice channels or group calls directly by Xbox Series X and S and Xbox One consoles. Microsoft said in the update, which will enable Discord users to connect across Xbox Mobile and PC, will roll out to more users over the coming weeks and be available to everyone pretty soon, while playing on console users will be able to see who is in the call and speaking. And they'll also be able to adjust the sound and switch between Discord voice chat and Xbox game chat. To access the feature, players need to select the Try Discord voice on Xbox from within the parties and chats menu. They'll then be asked to link their account to their Xbox. Guys, this is... Mm, there's a lot of things. This is really exciting, obviously, because I think Discord is definitely the industry standard, if you will, for party chat, um, as made very popularized by the PC community, of course. And in a world, I think the obvious one, right, is in a world where crossplay is becoming so prevalent and so commonplace that it's kind of expected of basically every title at this point, this is kind of a must because you, it's like, how do you handle it, right? When you're playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 on your Xbox and your boy is on Xbox is on PC and you want to chat with him and your other boy is a fucking dumbass bitch because he bought a PlayStation, he's on PlayStation because, right, we don't like PlayStation, guys. Isn't that, isn't that true, right, guys? Sweating nervously. And, um, you know, it's like, how do, you, how do you solve it, right? And, like, I, I know even me as a predominantly Xbox player and predominantly single-player player has run into this problem. That's how prevalent this problem has become, that even someone like myself has come across this issue where it's like, all right, I guess we need to do a three-way phone call. No. Everyone just basically gets on their phone and does Discord from their phones. And it's Discord more like disservice because you don't want to have your headphones connected to your phone, talking to your friends on Discord while the sound comes out of your TV for your Xbox. It's just not – it's not a pleasant experience. It's not a great experience. And listen, I'm always team Xbox party chat. is fantastic. I love it. It's an OG. It's – you know, it's it's one of the most pivotal uh, features of the Xbox experience, one of the most important features of the Xbox experience from a historical standpoint. But, it, you know, Xbox Party Chat is limited to Xbox and PC. And, you know, it doesn't help you if your buddies are on PlayStation. It doesn't help you if your buddies are on Switch. And it's a necessary feature to have something that is impartial to all the brands, all the console manufacturers, and can just work across the gamut. And that's what Discord does. And people love Discord. The audio quality is phenomenal. The service is very much popularized. It's it's used for much more than just chatting in, in, in party chats. It's used for, you know, like fucking internet communities have massive Discord channels where people are just chatting it up and being friends. I, I still don't, like, I get what Discord is and what it does, but I still don't fully get the appeal. I've, I've joined many Discord channels over time, and I have failed to ever get captivated or really invested in any single one of them ever. My, my understanding of Discord is it's basically like, what if Reddit, but it's live? 
You know, it's like Reddit. It's like, oh, look, someone posted a couple hours ago. Look at this post they made. Let's interact with this post by replying to it. Discord's like, okay, shit's happening now. You're either here or you're not. But it's the same thing of like, you find your little niche community, you join that channel. But then it's also a great party chat app and it has awesome audio quality and people really love it and it works very well and it's very intuitive and it's become the standard. And listen, someday you're gonna wanna be playing with your buds. You're gonna be playing some Fall Guys. You're gonna have you playing on Xbox, your buddy playing on PlayStation because he's a fucking traitor. You're gonna have your other friend playing on Nintendo Switch because he's a fucking baby. And you're going to be like, wow, I sure wish I could talk to you losers. And you're going to you're gonna pop up Discord. And it's going to be the unifier. So obviously, very, very uh, understandable why this is a highly requested feature, why this is exciting news for gamers, and why this is just another one of those like, high, like, oh, they listened and they, and they did the thing. Xbox is always the premier platform, hands down, aside from maybe PC, when it comes to, wow, wouldn't it be cool if there were a feature, dot, dot, dot. Always Xbox. Xbox always has the feature first. They always have the best version of the feature. They always have it. It's always Xbox. And I'm not even trying to say as like an Xbox fanboy. It just really, like, quite literally is the case. That's just always Xbox has, has you know, they're, they're so good at fan fan service and and uh, user support by just being like, oh, you guys want this? Okay, we'll ha- we'll, we'll bake that feature into the, into the platform. And so all that's great, but I kind of wonder, like, what is this going to do for Xbox Party Chat? Because Party Chat, you know, it's a great service. It's also available on PC. It's pretty well used, but I I think as time has gone on, it has fallen more and more to the wayside. And I kind of worry just a little bit. Is it possible that introducing something like Discord could spell the beginning of the end for something like Xbox Party Chat? Now, I assume there's always going to be those old curmudgeon men like myself who are going to use Xbox Party Chat as much as they can. But it's like, why would you use, you know, on because it, it even says in the announcement that you can you can switch pretty intuitively between being in a Discord channel or being in an Xbox Live party if you, if you want. But like in a world where your Xbox has two built-in party chat features... One that is proprietary and allows you only to talk to people playing Xbox, whether it's through PC or console. And then another, which lets you talk to just about everyone ever, whatever, you know, whether they're on their phone, their tablet, their PC, their console, what, what, regardless of what kind of console it is. And it's like, yeah, I mean, fuck. I mean, everyone should probably just use Discord. And Discord has amazing audio quality. And Discord has, like, no latency lag. And Discord's really fast at jumping in and out of channels and or, or chats and it's actually a lot faster usually than an Xbox Live party. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't know. It's kind of, it's interesting. This is another one of those things where it's like only Microsoft, you know, they, they, they bake the feature into their console that they know is kind of detrimental to one of their proprietary services. But at the same time, Xbox party chat isn't what makes Xbox money. In fact, it costs Xbox money. If they have, you know, someone else's service that they can just put on their platform, if anything, that might make it easier for them. And let's not give Xbox all the credit here in terms of getting Discord into their their ecosystem because PlayStation actually announced this first. I think PlayStation announced Discord would be coming to PlayStation some about a year ago. It was like last summer, last spring maybe even. It's been a while since they announced Discord's coming to PlayStation. But for whatever reason, they announced it on PlayStation a long-ass time ago. It still hasn't come there. We have no update on that. But now they just announced it's come to Xbox and it's like available now. So that's another really peculiar thing that's going on here. I, now, I wonder if this is Microsoft worked with Discord to kind of 
overcome the obstacles and expedite the process to get it ready to go. And if maybe maybe Sony is running into some kind of unexpected hurdle or maybe they're not doing as much with Discord to try and actively rush that product to market and uh, they're just kind of letting it happen as it happens, I, I don't know. Obviously, we know Microsoft's historically been in more of a pro crossplay um, stance and PlayStation historically was the one that that gave the most resistance to crossplay, and so maybe this has something to do with that. But at the same time, why would Sony knowingly admit that and, and announce it so ha- uh, so far ahead in advance when no one else even has the feature, only to be like the last one to the punch? It's just I don't know. I find that all very peculiar again. But yeah, I mean, I'll, at the end of the day, this is no doubt you know the thing everyone wants. This is this is going to unify people a lot. It's going to make it way easier when you and your boys are playing Roblox, and of course Timmy's on an iPad. And Jimmy's on a PC, and you're on your Xbox. These these are the kinds of things that are going to make that user experience all the more enticing, all the more convenient, all the more just the best it can be on Xbox. You got, you got to admit, man. At the end of the day, ugh, you know PlayStation's got some of those really really great games. There's no denying that PlayStation has such good games, but Xbox is continually just like, yeah, this uh this experience, this these services and features are just unparalleled obviously you don't buy a console to play features and services you buy a console to play video games but it it has to be noted just constantly xbox is always always banging out these deliverables on the services and features side of things but i i suspect this will probably take a lot of xbox by storm i will certainly have to use it because one of the only people i ever play games with are, are, are some of the only people i ever play games with are my nephews and my nephews are a bunch of weirdos who play on other platforms so i'm this probably going to use this and uh i mean i play a lot more on pc these days than i used to um especially due to the streaming we do so I'll probably find a lot of use for this, and I assume many, many others will as well. But Discord, welcome to Xbox. Keep in mind, Xbox was bidding to buy Discord just uh, just about two years ago, and that ended up falling through. So I almost wonder if something about rushing this to market, or not rushing it to market, but getting it to Xbox first, despite being announced for PlayStation first, maybe it has something to do with some negotiations or relationship building that happened between Microsoft and Discord back in those days when Microsoft was negotiating to buy Discord even though things fell through, there may have been some kind of established relationship. There may have been some kind of deal cut. I don't know to try and maybe get the service on 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 Xbox. But I assume you know this was an inevitability getting Discord on here, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see Discord um, show up on Nintendo, Nintendo Switch at some point in in the uh, near future. But then again, maybe it won't because Nintendo Switch doesn't even have Netflix yet for some reason. I don't know why that still astonishes me, but. All right, let's move on. I don't have too much more to say on that. Skate 4. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about an actual video game, not a feature. Let's talk about a video game. Like I said earlier, you, you buy a video game console to play games, not features. VGC reports EA have announced Skate 4 is officially being titled Skate, and the game will be free to play. The game, which will release on Xbox and PC, will support cross-play as well as cross-progression. Need for Discord. Whether the game is current gen or... or, or sorry... Whether the game is current gen or will receive last gen versions is unknown, but revealed as part of the boardroom, the game isn't technically a sequel to the three Xbox 360 games, but rather a platform that the team plans to expand on for years. The game takes place in a city known as San Vansterdam, which is the same universe as Skate's San 
Venalona. I didn't know they had fictional story uh, cities in these games. As part of the explaining for the free-to-play approach uh, to skate, the team were quick to claim that the game will not feature pay-to-win mechanics or any map areas behind blocked behind paywalls, but paid loot boxes also won't be featured as part of the game, and any microtransactions will primarily be cosmetic in nature. So I think uh, a lot of this is actually... I, I find a lot of this not surprising, despite the fact that, for all intents and purposes, this was just going to be Skate 4, and it was going to be the next entry in the Skate franchise. Because when you really think about Skate, the first three titles, they were really kind of iterative games, and this is EA basically doing with Skate, which is what we kind of all wished and hoped they would do with like fucking FIFA and Madden for many, many years now, which is just, dude, make the game a game-as-a-service, and just add to it all the time. Constantly update the roster, update, add new features, add new in-game events, add cosmetics, all this shit. We don't need to buy Madden for $60 every year until the day we die. Although it works for them because people do it. I feel like this is, in a way, almost like them being able to test the waters with, with those franchises. By being like, okay, here's Skate, one of our sports franchises. It's been dormant for quite a while. People are clamoring for it to come back. Let's test the... Let's test that model on Skate and see how it goes when we take one of our sports titles and make it a free-to-play, seasonal-based, game-as-a-service type product. And I feel like this is kind of perfect for Skate because when you think about – I never really got into Skate. I couldn't I, – I don't know. It just didn't work for me. The mechanics were just a little too obtuse for me, and I, I never got good at it. But I, I had friends who were very much into Skate. I had friends who were like – Basically, my skater, my skater kid friends who were basically, you know, video gamers more than skaters. And so this game was perfect for them. And um, the things I saw them do in skate, you know, I, I think a lot of my displeasement with the franchise was always that I approach as like, is this a good Tony Hawk alternative? And the game is not. It's very physics based and it's very user content driven. Whereas Tony Hawk, while it had some user content stuff in it, it's really pretty much a single player story, you know, borderline platforming game. Um, skill trick platforming game uh, where a skate is very much about the mechanics and the building and the community aspect and so this is kind of taking that and just elevating it. we know this new main mode that they're introducing into the game allows people to make skate parks and build and add to them with their friends and collaborate and exist in these worlds together and that to me just kind of screams like this should be a platform of service right you add new events you add more cosmetics you add new features you add new maps you add new skateboards you add new characters whatever the fuck you want to do I, I assume this game is going to start out with a bunch of like hats and t-shirts and vans and skateboards and different parks and different things you can use to build your skate park and then by year three it'll be like oh yeah download the uh nakey jakey deadpool skin the fucking vampire helmet and uh and a, a squirt toy water gun that your skater can use to shoot other skaters with water because squirt guns, summer release, fuck you. You know, like we'll, we'll get there eventually, but I, I mean, it's, I think this is a smart move for skate. I think it's demographic is, it generally tends to be, I think, a very male, teenage to young adult centric uh, player base that just wants to kind of like fuck off, get stoned, eat Taco Bell, and play skate. And that might be like overgeneralizing the audience for this game a little bit, but I think by lowering the barrier to entry to making it so easy to access and then making it so community driven and then hitting it with microtransactions, I feel like that's the perfect formula to make this game massively successful. Um, and 
I think I think EA is willing to take risks on this franchise because their whole thing with why there never was a Skate Four until until now is because they're like, yeah, Skate sold pretty well for us, but it was not a smash. It was never, you know, it was never like, whoa, step aside, Madden, step aside, Battlefield, Skates here, you know. And so I think for them, they're like, this is a series that we know can turn a profit. We know has a dedicated fan base. We know people will enjoy and play, but it's also it also lacked enough popularity and mainstream appeal that they can probably get away with really experimenting with it and using it as a testing ground for some new payment, you know, business model um, for some of the some of their titles. So you know, you look at their free to play offerings like Apex Legends. That's done really well for for EA. You look at their paid their paid games uh, recently like Battlefield twenty forty two. Eh. They they can they can maybe uh, benefits from taking some risks not to not to insinuate that there's like vast simul- similarities between Battlefield and Skate but you know so anyway um, I I think this is a great move I think this is a, a good way to get many 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 players into it I assume because this is how games are made today that this game will launch it will be relatively light on content people will say it's pretty good but it's a little buggy and I wish it had more shit to do but it's free to play you can't you can't complain. And then people will buy a couple battle passes, bada bing, bada boom, in a year or two. Look at that. It's a content complete game. People are loving it. It's got a thriving community. Just like every live service game, it's just it just finds its niche and then those people uh, basically sustain sustain the platform. And uh, I don't know. I think this is good for skate. That's really really when you think about skating in its nature, it, it is a very community driven, is a very social experience. It's a very social that's weird to say, this is a sport that's very socially driven. Well, I guess most sports are, right? But yeah, skate, skate in particular. I feel like this is a, a good approach for its demographic for what the game, how the game has traditionally been played and experienced, and for what they are aiming to do with the new features and modes of this game in particular. I think they'll find a lot of success, but we'll just have to see how much people do or don't want to bitch about the inevitable battle pass and uh, green alien skin and fucking ruby tuesday promotional tie-in that they do whatever it is guys let's move on because i don't i don't want to play skate i want to play doom because i like shooters baby i love first person shooters vgc is telling us that doom quake and wolfenstein 3d designer john romero famed game developer has revealed that his next game will be a first person shooter built on unreal engine 5 it's a quote it's a new dawn for romero games the studio said on tuesday we're working on a major we're working with a major publisher to develop john romero's next shooter an all-new fps with an original new ip our team is expanding and we're looking for talented people in all positions at all experience levels particularly those with unreal engine 5 experience while romero games is based in galway ireland its careers website states that it support it supports on-site, remote, and hybrid work models. The studio, which was established by id Software co-founder Romero with his wife Brenda in 2015, is currently advertising nine vacancies across coding, design, and art roles. According to the website, Romero's games, Romero Games team has held significant leadership roles on franchises including Far Cry, Watch Dogs, Forza, Sniper Elite, The Division, Crisis, and other games. And the studio's most recent release was the mobster RPG game Empire of Sin which was released in 2020, published by Paradox Interactive, and met with pretty poor reception. However, Romero Games hasn't put out too many games. It's been a lot of uh, like mods and smaller indie games and things that are kind of outside of uh, Romero's historical wheelhouse. So for them to be going to a big AAA FPS, uh, FPS 
new IP, big publisher. They didn't say AAA, but I'm assuming they mean, you know, maybe not AAA, but, you know, pretty uh, relatively high budget compared to other things they've been doing. And uh, definitely something a little more ambitious um, from a from a technical standpoint, you can assume. This looks like they're basically responding to Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal and saying like, hey, we want to crack at like a new modern FPS. Here's what we're going to do. That's kind of how I read that, whether that's accurate or not. But I welcome this. I, I, I 100% considering that, man, I forget the name of it, but um, they're, uh, the, 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 the Romero games, two of their like few games that they've made have been these like Doom mods I, for like Doom 1 and 2. I don't really understand what they are, but I, I assume that there's still a lot of passion for Doom and that this is probably going to be like a different licensed new IP spiritual successor to Doom in some ways, which is weird to say because Doom is very popular right now. But that's my guess is they're going to take that and be like, here's our modernized interpretation of Doom with our twist on it and a little bit something different. Um, but mainly the thing is it's it's kind of hard to glean a lot of information from these announcements because we know these days with staffing in the games industry being what it is that nine times out of ten we get these announcements not for us consumers to be like, whoa, a new game from Romero Games, but rather to message to developers like, hey, are you interested? Come work with us. We're hiring. So that is what this story is more more than not. Um, however, I mean, obviously, this is something that I think we can pretty much all get behind and get a little hype for. You know, no one, you know, no Xbox ever said no to a, a nice little first-person shooter. So, I'll definitely be looking forward to this. It sounds like they have some decent talent behind the project, but they're also keeping staffing relatively small-ish to medium size, which means we're probably looking at, um, you know, a, a nice little double-A uh, game here. Uh, hopefully, hopefully something real nice. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I, I definitely look forward to learning more about this title. And continue with the same vein of a story, uh, a new studio formed that is basically just marketing to developers. Hey, we're hiring. Hey, we're here. Notice us. VGC reports that Naughty Dog veteran Bruce Straley has announced his return to game development with a new studio called Wildflower Interactive. Straley spent 18 years at Naughty Dog, where he served as co-game director on Uncharted 2, The Last of Us, Uncharted 4, before stepping away from game development five years ago. According to Wildflower's website, the studio is making small-ish, creatively charged, uniquely stylized games that explore the possibilities of the medium. It's currently a fully remote work environment and it's hiring a number of positions, including COO and studio manager. The existing team has worked on the Call of Duty series, The Pathless, Abzu, Astroneer, and Kenna, Brennus, Bridge of Spirits. Is it Kena, Kenna? I always forget. Uh, Straley said, quote, we've got an exciting partner and support and supports. Sorry, we've got an exciting partner that supports what we're doing and it's going to help us reach a broad audience. I'm super excited what we're building over here. We're making something I've never played before. Now, this is notable because we're back to back. We're getting some like legendary uh, game games industry personnel forming new studios, announcing or you know talking about new projects on their studios, trying to get attention and hire potential hirees uh, 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 over their way. And this is some big ass talent. You gotta assume whatever they're working on is going to be a multi platform game. So despite the fact that he's historically a Naughty Dog guy. It sounds like we might get some uh, Bruce Straley um, content over on the Xbox platform, hopefully, maybe, possibly, um, which would be quite a quite a good get because this is one of the legendary game developers. You got to remember, Naughty Dog is simply just one of the best game developers um, from a production and quality standpoint, storytelling standpoint, and just cinematic standpoint. So to have one of the masterminds, one of the heads behind 
that studio's best work, you know, Uncharted 2, The Last of Us, these kinds of games. And to have new a new studio, new content coming from them, that's pretty pretty exciting stuff, especially because we haven't heard from this guy in a while. However, they do they do make it a point to say small-ish, creatively charged, uniquely stylized games. I assume this is another one of those small to mid-sized developer, independent, probably looking for a publisher on a per-game basis. And uh, clearly they have really not much to show right now because they're they're hiring for a studio manager and a COO. They're in early days, but it sounds like they do have some ideas. And I, I find the quote a little bit contradictory where he says, we've got an exciting partner that supports what we're doing to help us reach the broadest audience possible, while also saying, I'm super excited with what we're building, making something I've never played before, and it's a small-ish, creatively charged, uniquely stylized game. I, I maybe this is me improperly interpreting this, but that just registers as like, oh, cool, they're making like a, like little indie games, like medium to small size indie games, um, but with some really unique mechanics and approach to game design. I'm really excited to see what that's all about. But at the same time, they're saying we got a we got a good publisher we're working with, and they're going to help us bring this to a broad audience. It's like, well. That sounds kind of at odds with each other. If usually, you know, a good publisher is going to get you to a broad audience, sounds more like a, a big AAA 3D blockbuster blah 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 kind of game. So, well, I, I don't I don't know what to make of that. Obviously, I, I mean, you want to reach as wide as broad an audience as humanly possible in whatever kind of project you're you're putting together. That's how you sell your product and and, and survive and sustain yourselves as a team. I get that, but um, it's interesting. I, I take this as like we're making some really unique, stylized, forward-thinking indie games, but we're going to also try to reach a massive, wide audience with that. Ambitious, exciting. I welcome Bruce back to the industry. Um, I I feel like his his uh, I, I don't know may, maybe it's just because I thought Last of Us Part Two was good, not great, but I feel like you can kind of maybe feel his absence at Naughty Dog, and so to have his his gift. His abilities back injected into our, our industry once more, I, I think is exciting. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to have him back. And I welcome him back. And I, I look forward to whatever Wildflower Interactive has to show us whenever that is. They're also clearly in early days just trying to get their staffing under control or, or you know, up to snuff to start really going hog wild on the game. Guys, stop talking about all these studios making new games, making new teams but not have any concrete concrete information. And talk about, you guessed it, another developer who's leading development on a new studio for a new publisher. Oh my God, guys. It's, it's, it's one story on endless repeat this week. VGC reports Chinese tech and gaming giant NetEase has established a new U.S. development studio called Jar of Sparks, which is headed up by Xbox veteran Jerry Hook, who recently left. X or Halo, based in Seattle, but looking to recruit globally, the studio's mission is to create a new generation of narrative-driven action games. I, I like that mission. Jar of Sparks CEO and studio head Hook is a Microsoft veteran who helped launch the original Xbox and was founded a founded member of the Xbox Live service. He has held executive roles in multiple disciplines for the Halo and Destiny franchises, most recently serving as head of design for Halo Infinite. So really important guy, very fundamental guy to the Halo franchise and to the Xbox brand as a whole. Leaving Xbox, going to start 
a new team with with Chinese publisher NetEase. He'll be joined by creative director Paul Crocker, who is the lead narrative director at Rocksteady for Rocksteady's Batman Arkham trilogy. He then he then worked as narrative director for Batman Arkham Origins at WB Montreal before holding the same position at 343 Industries. Jar of Sparks executive producer Greg Stone was the producer of Doom and Halo Infinite and gameplay director of Steve Dy- uh, and gameplay director Steve Dyke has previously worked on as an animating director and design director for titles like Halo, SSX, and NBA Street Franchise. So lots of Halo talent, lots of Xbox talent, lots of really high-quality industry talent. Quote, we have been we have built games for some of the biggest companies in gaming, and now it's time to take a shot at putting our personal lightning in a bottle. When we look at to create games as a studio, the most critical part is finding the right partners. Finding the right partner was being aligned to the fundamental goals of having the freedom to take innovative risks and to put the passion of our creators first. This means that our players' experience came before the business, which itself is a risk. NetEase came to the table with a strong creative first approach. They demonstrated the same passion we have for our players in building experiences that we believe players will look for. End quote. That's from Mr. Mr. Jerry Hook. Earlier in the year, NetEase opened a new Japanese studio headed up by Yakuza creator, Toshihiro Nagoshi, who left Sega and left Ryuga Godoku after a long-ass time being there, it was recently claimed that NetEase is working on a new Destiny game for mobile in partnership with Bungie, who are now a Sony-owned uh, studio, in which the Chinese company invested $100 million to become a minority shareholder in, in 2018, which is ostensibly now null and void now that Sony owns Bungie and has bought everything from them. Um, but anyway, yeah, here, here we go, guys. Another new team formed... Again, this is probably another one of those like, hey, game developers, we exist. Please apply to to come work with us. We need to hire people to work in our our, our, our business, our place of work. is the main thing, but here we go. NetEase, another big up-and-coming Chinese conglomerate, growing further, getting further invested into the industry, gathering up more talent, consolidating. I don't really want to say consolidating because they're creating a new team, but gobbling up more of that really hard to get talent that everyone's vying for in the industry right now and uh you know they're starting a brand new team that is here to create narrative driven action games that sounds great they have great talent here that i trust implicitly that i'm very excited to see what they can come up with they're making one of my favorite types of games as vegas a, a action game a narrative driven action game can be and uh they're based out of seattle so they're gonna be pretty close to 343 and they already have some 343 talent there they're probably poaching so not only do we have a big new developer coming into 343's neighborhood and and, and just driving the scene up to be more competitive but I, I think we're going to see it be the case where a lot of people leave 343 and get recruited over to this team. Um, so that could spell some additional worries for Halo, possibly. But yeah, I, I, again, this is another advertisement scheme. So we've already talked about it. I don't know what more I can say, except, you know, NetEase, I, I, know, I, I always beat the drum of like Tencent, Chinese communist supporters, fuck them. Get the hell out of here, NetEase. I don't. I don't think there really is much of a of a, a history with them. In fact, I know they've been in trouble in China a couple times for like some content of their video games and things like that. So, I think right now you have a lot of Chinese companies who are desperately trying to expand their reach outside of China because their government is so incredibly restrictive and imposes so many arbitrary bullshit rules on their on their corporations that that it makes it like 
and I'm not talking about like oh on, on poor corporations they can't have ultimate power. I mean I mean things like oh we noticed one of your uh, video games mentions uh, this thing that we don't agree with politically. We're gonna fine you. We're gonna tell you to remove that. Like I'm talking about that kind of level of just absurd uh, control. And so I, I think you know like we what was the story from like last year or six months ago? It was like the Chinese government is imposing rules that limit the number of hours a week that people can play video games and things like that. It's like, they're, not, they're clearly trying to drive their video, the, the video, the growing and booming video games industry in China that's been forming over the past couple of years. They're, it seems like the, the government of China is trying to push those corporations, those businesses out of China as much as possible, which I think is why we're seeing so much investment all around the globe and all these other video game developers, because these companies are like, Hey, well, uh, you know, American developers, there's tons and tons of talent over there. We have tons of money to throw around and we have a lot more creative freedom to kind of make the shit we want to make over there. So that's why you see stuff like this getting formed. I'm sure these guys are getting thrown a sexy, handsome amount of money to put this team together and good on them. Hopefully, you know, what we get is a wonderful, wonderful game. And I'm quite interested to see what this already impressive lineup of of uh, veterans can can put together when once this team is formed and, and you know rubber hits the road and we, we we get a game out of them. I just again three stories in a row. Oh my god, I'm gonna blow my brains out if I have to say one more time. Oh look, a new studio is being formed. They're gonna make a video game. So let's maybe stop talking about video games for a moment and talk about our next story where we get to talk about TV, everyone's favorite video game. Windows Central reports that as shared by Deadline, I love when I do that. So Deadline reports and then Windows Central relays, but I don't read Deadline, I read Windows Central, so that's why we're getting that. On Monday this past week, Grounded, the popular game from Xbox Game Studios team Obsidian, is going to be adapted into an animated TV series. The writer's Brett Friedman is working on the story for the show. Friedman is best known for his work writing Star Wars The Clone Wars and is joined on his project by, uh, by Brian Goodrich, who worked on Halo 4. I love how they're both named Brian, but they both spell their names different, except it's not Brian, the first guy. It's Brent, Brent Friedman, and Brian Goodrich. Oh my God, please, I need to go get some gift baskets to send to these two gentlemen because I butchered their names. So Brent, Brent, who worked on, who, who worked on Star Wars The Clone Wars, a beloved TV, TV show, and Goodrich, who worked on Halo 4, a beloved Halo game by me, Grounded, which tells the story of kids shrunk down to the size of a bug, has seen commercial success since it was released in early access on Xbox consoles and PC in July of 2020, as the game has garnered over 10 million players since launch. The Grounded TV series is being produced by Waterproof Studios, SC Productions, Kinetic Media, and Bardell Entertainment. Oh my god, just rolls off the tongue. Who could forget that lovable company? Quote, we couldn't be more excited about diving into the whimsical universe of Grounded. The partnership will be of one of great collaboration, expanding on our already wonderful journey of exploration and adventure, said Tina Chow, CEO of Bardell Entertainment. Other video game franchises are also being adapted into movies, TV shows, with Microsoft launching the first season of the Halo TV show early in 2022, which kind of sucked ass, but oh well. All right. I actually have a lot to say about this, and keeping in line with today's theme of I'm not going to be too negative, as much as I generally don't really want video game movies and TV shows, I think this one has massive potential, and I'm actually looking forward to it. Well, and, 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 and here's why. First of all, it's going to be an animated TV series. That makes all the difference. All the difference. 
Do you know how fucking cool the Halo show would have been if it were animated? Do you know how fucking cool like every video game thing ever that's been adapted for TV would be if it were just animated? So many of the world's problems could be solved if everything were just animated. Because animation is awesome. It's visually stunning. It's striking. It's it's fun to watch. And, it, and you can overcompensate or, or overcompensate. You can overcome so many obstacles of does it look cheap? Does it look budgety? Is the acting bad? Are the facial expressions and the, and the non-verbal shit kind of not translating well into this TV show or this movie? You can fix all that shit so easily with animation. And it just really it really reduces the amount of obstacles that these these suits have to overcome when trying to take video games and make TV and movie out of them. TVs and TV shows and movies out of them. God damn, I can't I cannot speak today. I, I, I actually love this. Clone Wars, while I never got into it personally because I just I don't care about Star Wars that much, um, I know it is a completely beloved um, piece of Star Wars media. I know it's like seen as the most incredible thing to ever come out of the prequels from Star Wars. I know a lot of fans swear that Star Wars... TV shows, especially these animated shows, are way better than a lot of the movies, and it's just really, really good shit. So that's that's a promising person to have under your belt. You got Brian Goodrich, who worked on Halo 4, a Halo game that I think does the best job, possibly, of storytelling in a Halo game. And you, and you put those guys together on this, and you make it animated. Also, Grounded can be such a fun show if, because it's animated. You can make, the, I mean, it's just like the game. You can make the world so rich and vibrant and fun and visually stunning by being like, oh, look at these this amazing palette we get to work with and this artistic style we, and flair we get to express onto the show rather than being like, all right, the entire show was seven fucking children and t- children are already notoriously bad at acting uh, put up against a green screen, which is just uh, like, can you imagine trying to do a show like Grounded, trying to do something with Grounded and be like, all right, uh, it's, it's a green screen and here's a bunch of children make magic happen. Oh, yeah. And it's based on a video game that always goes well. Like that would be terrible. But again, they just overcome so many of the obstacles because now you can get great adult voice actors and get really excellent animators and show directors and artists to put together a really wonderful, uh, visually impressive show set in the grounded universe. I also believe this is a great thing because, well, Grounded is literally just a video game inspired by the Disney movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which is already, you know, pre-established as a fun family movie. So all Grounded was was the video game adaptation of the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And now we're coming full circle because Grounded is becoming a TV show. So it's actually a little funny when you think about it that way. So whereas generally I don't really want a lot of video game movies and TV shows, or at the very least, I personally don't care. It's not my thing. This one I'm quite optimistic about. I think they're making all the right moves. It sounds like they got some good talent behind it. They, They made the very important distinction that it's going to be animated and not live action. And it's based on something that I think has a lot of grounds for fun. And I think another thing they're doing really well is it's a TV show and not a movie because TV, something like Grounded, you can do a lot of Saturday, Saturday morning cartoon kind of shit with an animated show about kids that are shrunk down in the backyard trying to survive basically the wilderness, you know, when spiders are fucking monsters by comparison of these, these kids and their size now. That's fun. You can make a fun Saturday morning romp cartoon series that would be really fun to tune into and kind of watch in the background or watch as a, as an unwind relaxing kind of turn off your brain show. Whereas a movie I think would be, uh, you basically would just get that new Kevin Hart, Dwayne Johnson, Jumanji series, but with, uh, with obsidians grounded, I feel like 
that's actually exactly what you'd get if you did live action. Oh my god, thank God we're not getting that. It, it actually is kind of funny in a little in a little bit of a way because Disney's been trying to get a Disney Plus Honey I Shrunk the Kids sequel off the ground for a little while now. Apparently, um, Josh Gad, the voice actor from Olaf from Frozen, don't ask me why I know all this, is um is 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 actually like producing the movie. He might he might be writing it. I could be wrong about that. But he has the I forget the name of the actor who played the dad in the original Honey I Shrunk the Kids. But he got him to agree to work on it, and they were actually supposed to start filming it before uh, the you know what happened in 2020. Uh, I won't say so we don't get a warning strike. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's kind of funny that Disney's trying to get a new show or movie for Disney Plus based on Honey I Shrunk the Kids off the ground, where you know in the in the midst of that, Xbox and Obsidian are experiencing great success with Grounded. And it's like, hey man, maybe uh, maybe someone should knock on someone's door and see if they can strike a deal here. Maybe maybe get this grounded TV show to be on Disney Plus, or you know maybe do a Honey I Shrunk the Kids content crossover for the video game. You know a season pass themed to Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Also recently found out Grounded, the name of the game Grounded, was one of the working titles for the movie Honey I Shrunk the Kids uh, that obviously they ended up not going with. But I recently found that tidbit out. Did Captain James may have said that at one point on the, in a comment because I know he's a big fan of the game. He's commented on it multiple times. But uh, so sorry to you if I'm if I'm not giving you credit where credit's due. But I I also heard that recently on a Disney podcast I listened to and I was like, ooh, I'll I'll find a way to tell Xbox gamers about this for some reason. And so there you go. But uh, yeah, I don't know. All, all in all, I'm actually I'm actually quite optimistic about what this show can be. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I would be a lot more open minded to these kinds of things if we got animated TV series. Can you fucking imagine how cool? That Halo show could have been if it were animated. Can you imagine? Like, dude, like that Halo Legends um, uh, series or anthology or whatever it was, you know, all those like anime style Halo shorts that that were made that, that came out like uh, 15 years ago at this point or something. But that that series of, of shorts were so good that like you would think that maybe 343 or Microsoft or someone would be like, mm, if we ever do Halo, like a TV show or something, we should do that. I understand they wanted, like, Star Time wanted to have, like, their Game of Thrones. They wanted to have, you know, their big show that's going to connect with, like, the middle-aged non-gamer adult audiences. And they just wanted to be like, oh, look, now you care about Halo. I get it. I understand. But you can't tell me that show wouldn't have been significantly better. Because there's so many scenes in that show where it just looks budgety. The fucking cars look so goddamn stupid in that show. Like, literally looks like you're seeing, like, a Chevy... A Chevy Suburban with some like fucking chrome slapped on it and stuff. Like, oh, look at our futuristic cars. And like, I don't know, sometimes armor looks plasticky and the CG for the Covenant almost always sucks ass. And it's just like, dude, that show could have been so much better if you had just animated it instantly, right off the bat. Also, probably could have got away with a lot less Master Chief butt naked uh, fucking alien women, but. Oh well, I digress. I'm I'm pretty optimistic about this show. Very much looking forward to more. That's not a, a response you would generally see from me about a video game uh, based TV show or movie, but today's a different day, bitches. Guys, let's close out with our last story of the day. Xbox Wire reporting the new games coming and going from Game Pass, our beloved Lord and Savior Game Pass. So, as the time you're listening to this, Already, As Dusk Falls is now available on Cloud Console and PC, a day day one game with Game Pass, as well as Watch Dogs 2, Cloud Console and PC, so those are all there. Side note, they, they, uh, if you play the game on cloud, like on your phone or tablet, 
they completely did the controls to where like the game is meant for tablet and touch controls. I'm not saying it's like virtual controls on your touch screen. I'm saying like you literally tap around the game and interact with objects. Like they retooled the controls to be like a like a mobile game. So it's really cool. Um, also, side note. Apparently, there was a, a quick leak that suggests that Far Cry 6 is coming to Game Pass soon, although we have no confirmation on that just yet, so that might... Uh, anyway, on July 21st, Sins of Solar Empire Rebellion for PC comes to Game Pass, as well as MotoGP 22, the cloud console on PC, as well as Torment Tides of Numera, cl uh, cloud and console, I swear that was on Game Pass already before, um, and then on July 29th, Inside comes to cloud console on PC, I also thought that was on game pass at one point i don't know what i'm saying guys we're also losing some games on game pass on july 31st the following titles will leave the service dodgeball academia which i've been meaning to play that game forever cloud console pc katamari damasi re-rolls leaving cloud console pc also a game i wish i played luminous remastered cloud console pc also a game i wish i played and omno leaving cloud console pc i have no idea what that is so i don't have to feel bad about it and raji an ancient epic cloud console pc leaving on july 31st i swear to god that game just came to game pass I'm, I'm not i'm probably misremembering but i feel like that came to game pass like a month or two ago but anyway there are your game pass updates if you haven't played inside please play inside um and then as dust falls i know that's probably the big one that most xbots are probably eyeing this week because we cannot play stray the new annapurna interactive published kitty game that's on PC and PlayStation right now. That looks so goddamn good. But I'm sure that will be coming to Xbox probably in six months to a year. So patience, it will be rewarded. Guys, that's it for all of our news this week. Let's move on to the important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant our own discussions, of which we have one, two, three, four. Let's run through them real quick. VGC reports Microsoft have launched a new Xbox Ultimate sales promotion running from July 15th to the 31st. It claims the promotion includes savings of up to 80% on games available through the Microsoft Store and on the Xbox website. So if you're looking for some good deals on some new games, maybe take a look at that. VGC also reports that the Warner Bros. games have announced that the multiverse game Open Beta will begin on July 26th. The beta is available on all Xbox platforms and PC with full crossplay support. VGC also reports that No More Heroes publisher Xseed Games have announced that No More Heroes will come to Xbox and PC on October 11th of this year. The game will be available for Xbox One, Series S, and X with smart delivery support and PC via Steam and Microsoft Store. A new trailer is available now if you want to take a look at it. And finally, VGC reports Electronic Arts EA Games have revealed that FIFA 23 Ultimate Edition and its cover stars, so the, the annualized FIFA game, this is the last year it will tout the FIFA brand. We got our cover stars. Gracing the cover of Ultimate Edition are PSG and France star Killian Mbappé. How do you, God damn it, you French people. And Chelsea and Australian women's forward Sam Kerr. The latter's appearance on the box marks the first time a FIFA game has had a female player as one of the global's cover stars. And then the company confirmed in May that it is to end its partnership with FIFA. I already said that. Look at that. I'm better than the story. I already knew the news before the news knew the news. Fuck. Also, yeah, that's it. All right, guys. So that's it for the small news. Now we uh, take a deep breath. If you smoke... Take a big drag from your cigarette, your e-cig, whatever it is you're doing. Me, I'm going to take a long sip of my Mountain Dew that's actually a bottle of water, but you don't know that because it's an audio-only podcast. And we're going to round out with some comments. Now, I, I already stuck some of the comments up at the show when we talked about Nobody Saves the World, and I don't have many other comments left, so really we don't have many comments. It's just, it's just a quick one and done. 
But guys, if you ever want to comment, you know, I encourage you to comment. It really makes the show look pretty fucking pathetic when I don't have big, sexy comments to go through. So if you know a guy who has thumbs and knows how to type, maybe you have him make a comment and send it my way. You know how it goes. YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Click on the latest episode. Don't you dare post a post on the podcast from a week or two ago. And you leave a comment. You say something nice like, Jesse, you're doing a podcast. Good for you. Or you say something to me like, Jesse, eating Taco Bell at 1 a.m. and going to rock concerts when you're going to grow up and realize that you should be a pencil pusher, not a fucking, not a fucking dickhead like you are. And I'll be like, God damn it, mom. Stop, stop, stop scolding me. For I, I am who I am. Emo's not dead. And then, so the comments happen now. No one commented. My mom didn't say that to me this this week, thankfully. So here's some comments. Dead Captain James, our favorite, our beloved original child, the reason why Xbox on exists and po- possibly, possibly an alien species. We have not confirmed yet because no one has dissected this being yet. Says, let me try this again since YouTube keeps deleting my comments. Skull and Bones has probably already made its money back. The Singaporean government has already given Ubisoft tons of money to make the game. And yes, your comments keep getting deleted. I kept getting notified that you comment, and then I click on the notification, and then the comment would be deleted. It was annoying. So this is a uh, this is great insight that I 100% missed and never saw. So thank you, Did Captain James, for bringing this to our attention. So yeah, yeah. Hey, let me read this excerpt to you from an article from Gaming Bolt. Uh, article titled Skull and Bones Launch is Reportedly Being Pushed Due to Existing Government Subsidiary Agreements or Subsidy Agreements. And uh, here's this little excerpt that says, Skull and Bones is being primarily developed by Ubisoft Singapore, and Ubisoft has a has a subsidy a subsidy agreement in place with the Sing- with Singapore's government for the purpose of the project. To hold up its end of the agreement, the publisher has to release it by a certain deadline, which would also explain why the tortured project wasn't canceled long ago. So, so this only I I, w- I wish we had this information, or we did have this information. I wish I had this information because I wish I was better at finding all the the pertinent news. Um, I wish we had this information when we talked about Skull and Bones the other week because I think this is incredibly important to note that th- this game that that only that only speaks more to the point that this game has been a tortured mess of a product and to get it out the door kind of experience because we still seen very little of this gameplay. Um, almost you, you know there's no beta, there's nothing happening yet, and and yet they're just pushing it out the door anyway, even though no one really knows what this game is or why it exists or why they haven't just canceled it. And that's why it's because they're contractually obligated to do it. So, you know, talk, we talked about sunk costs. Obviously, they don't really have much of a choice. Their hands are kind of tied on this one. Honestly, for this game to come out and be anything less than a bomb would be incredibly impressive, considering the beleaguered uh, the development cycle this game has had and the conditions in which it's coming out. And so, man, oh man, I uh, I would not <laughs> I would not be surprised. If this game comes out, it is basically the closest thing we have to the second coming of Cyberpunk. And I don't mean that as, like, I think the game is going to be completely unplayable and broken, but I think the game is going to be pretty much a, a, a unabashed, just we had to make this game and put it out thing. Although I'm really curious to know more about how or why that deal was made with the government of Singapore to have this project be subsidized by them for the development costs and that whatever. That's very, very interesting. Also, I guess 
attractive potentially for Ubisoft to think that they could have games made that way, subsidize the cost of big AAA games in a world where games are getting so expensive to make, makes it a little easier, a little less risky for them to make these kinds of games and explore more and do more shit. But now they're also up against this issue of, well, do you really trust Ubisoft Singapore? They dropped the ball so fucking hard with Skull and Bones for so many years. Ah, you know, so be very curious to see what the fate of Ubisoft Singapore is and what what's next for them just in general following this game's release. But Dead Captain James, thank you for writing in with that really, uh, really important piece of information that I completely failed to address. Kronky writes in on Skull of Bones and says, further the Skull of Bones predictions, in three months when the game is $4.99 and a gold subscription discount, you're probably going to play it and love it. You'll call it a true follow-up to Starlink Battle for Atlas, a modern-day AA title that's good, not great. Kronky, under normal conditions, I would say yes about pretty much anything, but the idea of a game based around the ship combat of the Assassin's Creed games makes me about as excited as the idea of selling my Xbox Series X and my TV so I can get money to invest in gardening equipment so that I can begin to grow bell peppers in the middle of Florida summer and just be like, hey, this is what I do now. I save on average $14.72 on bell peppers a year. Do I miss the fact that there are new Sonic games out there that I can't play? Not really. I don't know. That's not happening, Kronky, okay? I, I see where your head's at, and I know that is in line with something that I would do, but not with this game. Not with this game. Also, shout out to Starlink Battle for Atlas. Put some respect on that game's name. That game is phenomenal. That was made by Ubisoft Montreal. And it was so good, so underappreciated. God almighty. If that game had just come out a few years earlier when Toy's Life was popular, maybe it would have stood a chance. But God, I love that game. I tried to play that uh, again a couple days ago, uh, or a week ago or so. Still a good game. All right, our final comment of the week comes from none other than Mr. Headhunting Halo, the sexiest man in the universe, who wants to talk about Naraka Blade Point, the NetEase published 24 Entertainment developed Battle Royale Chinese developed game for PC and Xbox that I talked about last week that is so very good and I highly recommend you give it a go and says listening to the podcast as I am on my way home from Gulf Shores Alabama got eight hours left and Nakaratata is an amazing game very fun and I believe and believe it or not I got a victory royale my first match I'll not buy the battle pass only because I got too much poo poo on my plate which happened to big what happened to the Banjo-Kazooie rumor like, what the F, this is what I need. Have a good week, Jess. Love you. Headhunting Halo. That's why I didn't make a big deal or really talk about the Banjo-Kazooie rumors around the Bethesda Xbox showcase when those rumors were prominent because I did not believe them. I did not want to believe them because I knew there was nothing for me but disappointment if I did. And this is why we didn't talk about it because there's always going to be rumors, dude. It's always going to be double uh, 007s coming back. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah, Banjo-Kazooie is coming back. And oh, oh yeah, yeah, Bubsy 3D, it's getting, get ready for Bubsy 4D, asshole. They'll always say these things, but it never happens. So keep your expectations in check. Trust no one, but also understand, and I don't mean to take this fun away from you. I think the first match you play after the training on N Naraka Bladepoint, I, I think it's against bots, I think, because I also got a Battle Royale victory, whatever, the first match I ever played, and I was like, 
at first I was like, damn, I'm actually not bad at this game. And then like halfway through the match, I'm like, wait a minute. I shouldn't be alive still. This is probably a bot match. So I, I don't know that there's any truth to that, but I, I won my first match as well. And so I'm not trying to take away your happiness and victory. I know this sounds mean-spirited for me to even say this, but there is a possibility maybe you were playing against bots. Now, maybe you weren't and you're just awesome and you, and you rock because I know you rock and I love you headhunting Halo, but I just want to say that because... Every match I played since then has been significantly harder. Although in general, I'm not I'm not bad at this game, so maybe I, I, I don't get my ass kicked like I do on Warzone or any of that. So maybe maybe there's some truth to what you say in here, head hunting Halo. But anyway, either way, that's gonna do it for our show this week, guys. That's it. Please, for the love of Christ, leave a comment on YouTube, guys. And uh, if you can, ask questions. Ask questions. I like questions. I like answering questions. I like going down the rabbit hole. I like reading into it. When you guys just ramble on about Jesse, I love you. Jesse, I love Xbox. Jesse, I love Taco Bell. Jesse, I love soap. It's just like, yeah, me too. And then we have nothing to discuss because we're just stating things we all unanimously love. But when we talk about questions, when you guys ask questions, you say things like, Jesse, where do babies come from? Well, there we go. We got a whole Xbox-related topic of discussion to go through. So, uh, I don't mean to tell you, like, it's kind of asshole of, ha- asshole-ish of me to be like, leave a comment, but this is the kind of comment you have to leave. But, you know, if you're going to leave a comment, maybe uh, throw a couple questions my way so we have some stuff to discuss. Uh, or maybe I should just make the podcast more interesting so it, it encourages you to want to ask questions. But whatever, I can never assume responsibility for my actions or take any fault in, 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 in a failure of any sort. And with that said, guys, let's wrap up the show Have a wonderful week, all. If you can, leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. If you want to connect with me, you can follow me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa, although I have been uh, a lot less active on Twitter. I'm trying to wean myself off of it a lot more just so I can have a healthier life balance of of just phone usage. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave five-star reviews, especially if you're an iTunes user. It really, really helps out. If you're British, guys, I don't hate you. In fact, I love you. I just like to give you a hard time because for some reason – it's just a thing where Americans like to give British people a hard time. Uh, they, they, we do the same thing to Canadians, so don't take it personal. You know, and I love my Canadian friends as well. Um, but for whatever reason, Americans are really cool with Australian people, I've noticed. I, like, of all the, the major, like, sp- like English-speaking countries, you know, like your Australias, your Canadas, your U.S., all that. I, I feel like it's always like, oh, if you're American, you give British people and Canadian people a lot of, like, you josh on them a lot. You give them a lot of shit for no good reason. But if they're but if they're Australian, you're like, hell yeah, man, you're from Australia? Fucking cool, man. Guns, pickup trucks, kangaroos, even though you don't have you really don't have guns in Australia, but it just seems like a country where people would be gun owners if they could. Hell yeah, bruh. Let's wear fucking tank tops and get sunburned and 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 and, and just eat steak with our bare hands because we're fucking savages and Fuck those Brits and Canadians. They probably they probably wipe their mouths with napkins after they eat. Those savages. So, anyway, don't take it personal. I love you all equally. And if you're not from an English-speaking country, I love you more. Because I'm trying to overcompensate. Don't you see? I'm trying to white knight. I'm trying to... What is it called? Um, I'm trying to be performative here. 
if you come from a country that is not predominantly white and if you come from a country that does not speak English or at least not as its first language, then I extra appreciate you because I'm totally super inclusive and I just want you to know what a progressive person I am and how welcoming I am. This show's always been so inclusive. In fact, I've always made such a fucking effort to make sure that I have a very diverse array of comments every week. That's why we don't just read Headhunting Halo rambling on and on and on. And this show, I swear to God, is going to end. It's not going to go on forever. The music's going to kick in. I'm going to say, power your dreams. You're all going to go, well, well, this is a good episode. Maybe next week I'll listen again. Maybe not. It's up to, you know, it'll be lucky if I come back. But guys, I'm not done here. I still got some things to tell you about. A couple extra stories. Did you know Microsoft just bought Crestwood?